0: It's Tuesday, February 3rd. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio today from Million Dollar Portfolio, Jason Moser. Thanks for being here. Yes, sir.
1: Sorry I couldn't be here yesterday. We had a uh, teacher work day, you know, those things kind of happen. How dare you prioritize
0: your children's education over this podcast? Well, I mean, it's it's (laughs) just one of those things that, you know how it is. I do know how it is. The father of three. I'm sure
1: you've run into that buzzsaw once or twice.
0: Oh, yeah. That'll be coming up soon. (laughs) Um... We're going to talk restaurants, we're going to talk 3D printing, let's begin with the sexy world of office supplies, because it was just a few weeks ago that activist and investor Starboard Value called upon Staples and Office Depot, two companies that Starboard Value owns a, a pretty <laughs> nice chunk of, uh, called on the two companies to merge, and the Wall Street Journal is reporting today that, in fact, the two businesses are in advance talks. To team up and there's no guarantee of a deal, and yet both stocks hitting multi-year highs today, I kind of feel like this could work.
1: Yeah, I you know, I, I think it will too. We talked about this, I think, towards the end of 2014 on Motley Fool Money. And I mean this only makes sense. I mean, if if this were Five years ago, I could see where antitrust concerns might
0: be a bit more. Um, you okay, know, that came up in '97. Plausible, yeah. Staples and, 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 tried to buy Office Depot when the FTC smacked it down.
1: And, and back then, I mean, you know, there there was no Amazon really, uh, you know, taking it to every retailer on every front. There, and so, I mean, you know, fast forward to 2015, and and retail is certainly a very different space. And I, so, I, I think this deal will go through. I think it only makes sense. And I think, honestly, I, I mean, if you're an Office Depot shareholder, you've got to feel pretty good about this because Staples. Uh, and I don't know that that everybody knows this but I mean, staples has a very robust e-commerce presence I mean they they bring in uh, somewhere in the neighborhood of 20 23 24 billion in sales every year um, and and about tw- about 10 billion 11 billion of that is, is e-commerce so they've done a good job at least building out that e-commerce presence over time recognizing that the landscape was changing um, and, and so I think that's encouraging from that perspective and, and consolidation in this space only makes sense but, you know i I imagine that this will happen particularly when we have some some activist
0: investors and in they're trying to trying to make it work but uh, you know stranger things have happened. Got to give a shout out to our colleague David Kretzman, because he was the one who first pointed out and I think we talked about this on Motley Fool Money. This is a pretty good bar bet as investing bar bets go. Staples is third in online retail in America. Yeah. Amazon is first, Apple is second. Staples is third. You could have given me 50 guesses, I wouldn't have come up with Staples as being number 3. No, I don't don't, don't think anybody would have called that. (laughs) Uh, So, that's the good news for investors, and certainly the shareholders of Office Depot and Staples. Let's go to the bad news today. Let's go to the carnage, which is in the 3D printing industry. Stratasys shares down more than 30% this morning, because for the second time, they have cut full-year guidance. They also announced a write-down uh, for the MakerBot business. And let me just put two numbers behind this, Jason. <laughs> the write-down is going to be somewhere in the neighborhood of 100 to $110 million, and that's just during the fourth quarter. And for perspective, when Stratasys bought MakerBot in 2013, they paid $400 million for it. These guys taking some acquisition strategies from Microsoft or what? Oh my god! Or or Cisco (laughs) Systems. I mean, what? uh, How bad is it out there? Because we're also seeing the likes of 3D Systems and other companies in this space. Their stocks are getting hit too, not to the tune of thirty percent or more. But Stratasys has taken a bunch of uh, industry competitors with them.
1: Yeah, and I think you you were making the point earlier that Stratasys probably took a little bit of the wind out of uh, 3D Systems' sales. They wanted to to throw out a press release today talking about I think what a, a couple of acquisitions or something.
0: Yeah, 3D Systems um, <laughs> this morning announced two new contracts with the U.S. Air Force Research Laboratory, and I just. You know, I sympathize with whoever is the PR person who was working on that press release over the last week and probably thinking to himself or herself, boy, this is gonna be great. Tuesday morning we're gonna put out this news. It'll be great for our business and our stock might get a little pop. And no, it's just being drowned by the tidal wave of Stratasys's write down and their their guidance. Because people are looking at that and saying, look, Stratasys. Is one of the biggest players in the space, and if they're having a horrible year, it stands to reason that at least some of the others are in for a bad time. The guy or girl in investor
1: relations at 3D <laughs> Systems, they probably just click over to Yahoo or something, see this immediately. like, Oh, you got to be bleeping kidding me! <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean this. This is. I mean, this is obviously not good. I mean, it's the second time Stratasys has got it down here recently. Uh, You know what? What we're seeing, I think, and and the reason why this is this is stretching beyond just Stratasys into the greater three D space, is that you're seeing sort of this wave of the early adopters in this new three D printing space. Uh, They they've more or less you know jumped in and and uh, taken you know what what they wanted from this market. I mean, they they've bought what printers and what what materials and what uh, equipment they need and want to try and utilize. Uh, and so you have this initial wave of early adopters, which is is more or less kind of passed through now. And so the challenge is, okay, now what? Okay, you got to figure out a way to, to to continue sort of that momentum. And and we're hitting a point where maybe that momentum is subsiding a little bit because there's still so much that's unknown with this with this market. I mean, it has been a tremendous headline for so long, and I think this is a great lesson for investors uh, in that you don't want to buy into these big headline stories. I mean, a story doesn't make it a good investment. I mean, we, we want to pay attention to, to, obviously, the fundamentals of the business, the market opportunity, but also price always matters. And, you know, this is one of those Peter Lynch uh, sort of uh, axioms where you really want to avoid those big headline stocks because you're paying a lot for that cheery consensus. And I think that's one of those good Buffett quotes there is you pay a high price for a cheery consensus. And I think a lot of people have been paying uh, some pretty high prices for for Stratasys and 3D Systems. Um, it, it's not to say that they're bad companies or, or that their days are numbered. I, I, far from it. I think they have bright futures ahead. But but the stock prices were certainly uh, very optimistic consider these considering these companies are still just kind of... Getting their footing and still really gaining profitability, and so I think what you're going to see for a long time to come here is these companies. You're going to see a lot of money being plowed in R&D and even SG&A on those on those uh, as they continue to sort of grow out their offerings and and learn uh, new technologies to offer and stuff like that. And that's going to hinder the profitability side of these businesses. And so you just have to pay attention to that. Uh, And so you know, with Stratasys, I mean, taking taking 100 to 110 million dollar write down on such a recent acquisition. Is a bit of a bummer. I mean, considering that they uh, really thought it was going to be fully accretive here in 2014, that's obviously not going to be the case. And and uh, so, given where the stock was before this morning, I don't think this is necessarily an overreaction. I think this is probably an appropriate reaction. But by the same token, I think that investors who want to play into this space, you know, look at this as a potential opportunity uh, in maybe picking up some shares or adding to a position uh, if if you
0: have a longer time time frame in mind. You're right that certainly when it comes to the stock, price matters. When it comes to the, the company itself, size matters. And if you yeah. look at 3D Systems and Stratasys, and as you said, there are other players in this space, but let's just stick with those two for a moment. Those two companies each have a market cap of within shouting distance of Yeah, $3 billion. Yeah. 3D Systems a little higher, Stratasys today a little lower, uh, but around $3 billion. Hewlett-Packard is a company with a market cap of $68 billion. And Hewlett-Packard is starting to move into the 3D printing space. That is not to say, and we've seen this throughout, certainly the last 20 years when it comes to technology companies, it's not to say that it is a foregone conclusion that the big company, in this case Hewlett-Packard, moving into this innovative space is necessarily going to be the big winner. We've seen examples on both sides where, in fact, the big company does sort of sit back, wait to see how a concept gets proved out, and then moves in, either by acquiring smaller companies or just swamping the the smaller competition with money and resources. But I think that's just one more thing to consider when you're looking at a Stratasys or a 3D Systems is, oh, right, now we also have to contend with the likes of Hewlett-Packard and conceivably other behemoths. And the extent to which they want to throw money at this space,
1: yeah. There's no question there that in an industry like this, where you know, a lot of research and development is is going to take place, those companies that that have you know the financial stability to be able to just kind of throw money uh, at at these new technologies, they, they definitely hold a leg up. Um, you know, it was interesting with MakerBot it, it, a while back. You know, Jeff Bezos was a, an initial investor in MakerBot via his Bezos Expeditions uh, in, investing uh, entity. And at one point, I think it was it was uh, Amazon shareholder meeting last year. Someone was asking him about 3D printing and sort of his perspective on it, asking if they felt like that it would enable the digitization of physical goods in the same way that Amazon is digitizing books today. And, and his answer was he doesn't he doesn't think that's going to happen anytime soon. Uh, I mean, he thinks it's far, far in the future that while it's interesting technology, it's one of those things that you know, it, at the end of the day, uh, and he uses this, it, an example of a toaster. He's like, yeah, a toaster has dozens of materials, and so to assume that a you know, an individual consumer can just, you know, have a 3D printer and be able to just print off whatever kind of physical good at home that they may want. Uh, it sounds great in theory, and that obviously maybe is is the sort of longer term idea here. But it's going to take a long time to get there. And so I, I think that when you have someone like Jeff Bezos, who's the consummate long term thinker, I was just going to say, and, and I would say he's not, he's he's no dummy by any stretch of the imagination. You, you, I think you you need to listen when when people like him say these kinds of things and understand that this is a, it's a fascinating market, but it's also one that is going to take a lot of time to develop. And so, if you don't have the patience to really sit in here and and deal with the volatility, uh, then you probably shouldn't be investing in these companies to begin with.
0: If there's any doubt about Bezos and his long-term thinking, just remember, this is the guy one of whose side projects is building the 10,000-year (laughs) clock. That's exactly right. So, that's kind of all you need to know. Exactly. Uh, Before we wrap up with restaurants, I want to mention again, uh, the Podcast Award nominations are open through this Friday. So, if you are so inclined, if you're one of our dozens of listeners and you're so inclined to nominate Market Foolery in the business category, eh, we're not going to stop you. You can just go to podcastawards.com. And uh, and put Market Fuller in the business category. Why not? Appreciate it if you if you if you are so inclined. Chipotle is reporting after the market closes today, and I'm reminded of uh, a sign that was up in my home growing up, which was "Do a little more every day than everyone expects, and soon everyone will expect more." <laughs> and that that to me is kind of where Chipotle is as a business. I want to talk fast casual broadly in a second, but let's. This is a company. Uh, I we both own shares, right? I know I own shares. Yes, you I, own, I do okay. own shares. So this is a company you and I are both watching closely. You're looking at just what are the expectations coming into this quarter? Because it seems lofty is one way to describe them.
1: I, you know, I think so. Yes, I think the, the expectations are very high. Now we talk all the time about companies that can be victims of their own success, and, and that's. You know that's more of a short-term sort of quarter by quarter thing, and it's not indicative of uh, any problems that the business may be facing. But you look back, you know, this past year, Chipotle has just put up some astounding numbers, uh, set the set the record, the company record for the highest comps ever in the history of the company. And and so when you have companies that are doing those kinds of things, yes, the expectations always always uh, become greater. And, and I was actually looking at this earlier, trying to get an idea of what the market is actually expecting from this today. And they so so comps during the same quarter last year were nine point three percent. So that's going to be one thing they're going to be looking at there. Uh, The market is also looking for sales growth of twenty seven percent, which is a lot. And they're looking for the company to be able to bring that down to the bottom line. Earnings per share they expect fifty percent growth. And so twenty seven percent top line, fifty percent bottom line. You know on on comps that they. 9.3%. Nine point three percent I was just go. gonna say so
0: so just to just a recap, the lowest bar they're trying to clear is nine point three percent cops
1: and and we know like <laughs> last quarter last quarter, they gave us some some guidance into two thousand and fifteen that we could expect sort of. Low single-digit, um, you know, comps. Because I mean, at just some point, you have to kind of hit the reset right. button in order to continue your your growth. And they're going to be they're they're going to grow slowly and methodically. And and I think that you have to to appreciate that. So yeah, the markets ex- expectations are high. Um, if not many companies that I that I would I would uh, you know bet on you know exceeding that that type of of expectations, but. Chipotle is one that I I would not be surprised to see them do it. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if they miss it either. And I don't think investors really—if if if, if they happen to miss this and the market reacts to the downside and the stock sells off—I think you have to look at that potentially as an opportunity because this is a business that you want to own for the next twenty years, like literally twenty years. I mean, this is—they're twenty-one years old now. They're basically just halfway into building out the Chipotle. Presence, uh, they are going to continue building shop House. They're going to continue building out the pizzeria locale. And there's a new, I think they just announced a new pizzeria locale, a restaurant. I think it's in Kansas, maybe. Um, so they are slowly going to roll that out as well. And those are going to be, while they might not be as big, ultimately as the Chipotle namesake stores, they will be. Bar- they will be big. They will be significant, and they will drive this company's results it's going to be something that takes another twenty years for them to really reach. And and so with a with a stock like this, you want to look at any overreactions to the downside as opportunities to buy uh, shares if you don't own them or add to a position if you feel like it's something that you want to build up over time. Because this is one of those companies, as long as management stays there and you have Steve Ells and Monty Moran running this company, I feel very secure that they will uh, you know, continue doing what they've been doing. I think this recent pork shortage was a great example of how they will stick to their guns, adhere to that mission of food with integrity, and I think that investors need to feel really good about that. Uh, so, yeah, expect, expectations are very high. Um, it wouldn't shock me to see them hit them, though.
0: Let's Let's widen the lens, so to speak. Uh, Robert, uh, Roberto Ferdman, uh, who writes for The Washington Post, had a really, I thought, a really great article today uh, that I tweeted out, and then uh, it also I also retweeted it through the Market Foolery feed. Uh, just looking at the fast-casual industry and the growth, and and part of it was historical, just looking back at, at how, since 1999, the fast-casual space, which was tiny in 1999, has grown somewhere to the tune of 550%. And one of the things he <laughs> wrote about was how during the recession, 2008, 2009, 2010, all other restaurant categories were flat, flat to slight decline, which was you know a historically for restaurants a, a really horrible and, and almost unprecedented period across the industry. the exception being fast casual, which again, during the recession during that two-year period was growing at double digits. Um, I don't know if you had a chance to read the article. But, I did. But one of the things that really struck me, beyond just sort of the historical notes, was how within the industry there does not appear to be any sort of hard and fast agreed upon set of criteria for fast casual restaurants. There are some um, industry groups that that have one set of criteria. There's some overlap with others, but uh, I, I'm just curious what stood out to you in the article.
1: No, I did read that. I thought that was a, a good piece. I enjoyed it, and I retweeted your tweet. So hopefully, more uh, readers out there will will get to take it in. I think it it addresses, I, I think, a very relevant question. I mean, it's fast casual is one of those things. It's you kind of know it when you see it, and you kind of know it when it's not. Uh, but it, it's it's. It's been really interesting to see, sort of, the McDonald's and Burger Kings of the world are more or less being taken on by this fast casual movement. Fast casual is basically becoming sort of the new standard for fast food. Uh, Which at some point, I mean, what do you do with with the McDonald's of the world? Because I mean, I think they're 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 seeing uh, that it's it's really difficult to change sort of the message that they've lived on and, and done so well with over the past 40 50 years and and that's always been a proposition of value and you know one of the one of the one of the qualities of fast casual that stands out is it's a, it's a better quality product right I mean the ingredients are typically better ingredients and and the the end product is typically a better end product it's not necessarily always better for you uh, though many times it is and, and when you have something like chipotle uh, you know you have options you can have your dish made the way you like it so that you can have you, you can you can make it healthier or or <laughs> more
0: more uh not so healthy. <laughs> but and ticket price is appears to be one of the agreed upon set of criteria yeah. across the industry. would say look, fast casual has a higher ticket price. If you're thinking traditional fast food, Wendy's, Burger King, McDonald's, etc., you're looking at an average ticket price somewhere in the neighborhood of $5, whereas fast casual, Panera, Chipotle, etc., it's in the $9 to $13 range.
1: Yeah, and I think that's interesting to see that fast food, traditional fast food, those tickets continue to creep up. You know, so I mean 5 six, Seven dollars, and and then the argument becomes well, maybe for just a couple of extra dollars, I could really go get this. You know, whether it's a Five Guys burger or a Chipotle burrito or Panera, or whatever. And so, and so, I think that it becomes far more compelling uh, when you have options out there for food that is that much better. And and I mean. I think that generations that are coming up today, and I'll use our kids as examples. I mean, I know that we're not taking our kids really very often to to places like McDonald's or Wendy's or whatever, because there are other options out there that we feel like are are better options. And, and so i I don't know that that these generations of of kids that are coming up now I don't know that they're gonna see fast food the way that we saw it growing up and I think that's gonna be uh to the demise of, of your McDonald's of the world but
0: um that was another thing in the article and obviously older than our kids, but just the millennial generation yeah you know getting out of college not a ton of money, but also looking to get uh, some food that's you know maybe a little bit better and and uh yeah, you're going to pay a little more than you'll pay at McDonald's, but it's worth it.
1: Yeah, it is worth it and I think that's something that's proven out over time because you have uh, when you, when you look at a McDonald's compared to a Chipotle, I mean, the the cost of what Chipotle is selling us is far more. They're paying far more for their ingredients than McDonald's is and you can see it plain as day there. It's, you know, somewhere in the neighborhood of 25% cost of goods for McDonald's to 33 34% for Chipotle. That is going to Always be that way, and I and I think that as consumers become conditioned uh, to to be okay with paying for that, you know, I, I think that 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 only helps the the fast casual market going forward. And that's why I think Chipotle has done such a good job of really building out not just a, a very good product in, in what they sell at Chipotle, but what Steve Ells always points to is really the platform. He's figured out this new platform, this new way of getting food to us. It's it can basically translate across any any. Style of food that you want, which is why you see them pursuing uh, the shop house strategy and now pizzeria locality because you know it's the platform really, and you can sell anything that way. And, and you know consumers
0: want it, so they're going to go get it. It seems like uh, in this article, one of the lines of demarcation is in restaurant sales, and that's yeah. that 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 appears to be where one of the main arguments is in the industry is there are some who are saying, look, to be a fast casual restaurant. Less than half of their sales need to be in the restaurant because then you become a sit-down, more of a sit-down restaurant. And there are others saying, no, 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 it's you know Buffalo Wild Wings. You can do takeout from Buffalo Wild Wings, but more than half of their sales are coming from the restaurant. And there are some saying, well, no, that's a fast casual. But you and her talk, you're like, no, that that seems like a restaurant. Like the the the, and certainly the way Buffalo Wild Wings markets itself, Mm -hmm. beer, wings, sports. Well, sports is part of it. Come, watch a game, have a beer, get, up, get some wings, but you're doing it here. Yes, if you want to take out, we'll offer that, just as Chili's, Applebee's, other restaurants along those lines that are casual restaurants. But again, even though they offer takeout, they're a sit-down restaurant.
1: Yeah, I would wholeheartedly disagree with Buffalo Wild Wings being a fast casual experience. I don't think it's even close. Uh, I mean, Buffalo Wild Wings invests a lot into those stores, into those restaurants. I mean, they're putting fifty-five, sixty television sets in every one. Uh, so, just the cost of building out a Buffalo Wild Wings restaurant is significantly higher than building something like a Chipotle, where I mean, you can you know open one of those stores for less than a million dollars and, and realize a return on that investment in no time at all. Uh, Buffalo Wild Wings is certainly to me more of a sit-down experience, and I would never consider it fast casual. It's interesting that someone would. I mean, I'm, I'm not really sure of the logic there. I mean, it. it uh, It just I I don't I don't see it at all. But yeah, I mean I think that's what we're going to see as time goes on. Is the definition for fast casual will certainly become more clear. I think um, because it it will just become more obvious really what makes it up. But then you're going to see sort of this this traditional sort of quick service fast food restaurant that we that we grew up on. Uh, You know that that that's going to be sort of the interesting uh, thing to follow there because I you know I think McDonald's if they had their druthers they would they would gladly become Fast Casual if we could consider them that. Um, I, I don't know that they'll ever be able to get there, though, because of, of what they've
0: built their brand, brand around uh, to date. The last thing I'll say about this article, my, and this is my main takeaway as an investor, is the fact that Fast Casual, as we've discussed, Panera, Chipotle, take your pick, Fast Casual only makes up, currently, 5% of the restaurant business in yep. the United States of America. So just as you've made the point before about e-commerce worldwide still only representing about 6 maybe closing in on 7% of total commerce around the world, as an investor, the idea that fast casual has had the growth rate that it's had over the last 15-16 years and still only makes up about 5%. I mean, that that appears to be one thing that industry uh, experts agree on is that the growth of fast casual dining is not even close to slowing down anytime soon.
1: No question. And that's a great point. I'm glad you brought that up, because I think so many investors look at, and I'll, I'll just pick out Amazon and Chipotle here as the two obvious examples of companies that are sort of leading these new movements in e-commerce and, and fast casual. They look at those stock prices and they think, oh, wow, man, I, Amazon's such a big company today, and the stock's $370, and Chipotle is now at $700-some-odd. I missed the boat. And and you haven't missed the boat at all. Again, I mean, if, if you're looking at this thing in the context of the next 10 to 20 years, which I know that sounds like a long time, but but as investors, that's the timeline you need to take. You want to find those kinds of businesses that you can hold on to for 10, 20 years. And Amazon and Chipotle are two great examples of companies that you could do just that because, again, we like to look at the market opportunity when we're looking at these ideas. And the market opportunities with e commerce and with fast casual are just phenomenal. And you want to talk about repeat sales. I mean, everybody, everybody's always shopping and everybody's always eating. So that, that's always
0: going to be there. And you want to find the companies that are leading the way. And those are two, two, uh, two that are doing just that. By the way, right across the street from Full HQ. We've got a Panera under construction, should be finished in a few weeks. And beyond just enjoying their soup and and sandwiches and that sort of thing, I'm curious to see what the layout, what the physical layout of that location is going to be like. Because we've talked before about Panera's CEO, Ron Shake talking about last year how, gosh, it's a mosh pit and and we got to redesign our stores. And it'll be interesting to see if that store is... Designed in such a way that that makes us not just happy as customers, but curious as investors. Like, oh, maybe if they can <laughs> th- turn a few more around like this, then then maybe this is a business worth buying and holding for a while.
1: Between Full HQ and the PTO right down the street, I have a feeling that's going to be a busy Panera. And if they don't have the throughput uh, problem
0: solved, they're gonna they're gonna have <laughs> I think some unhappy customers. Thanks for being here. Thank you.